0: come to don't give up skeleton i'm your host jeremy grier this week's guest is silver silver is a very big souls fan that role plays these games in a way that's pretty unique to this podcast just check it out and listen to the episode for more of that they're also extremely into saving red pandas which i think is a very worthy cause so be sure to hit the show notes and see all of the links that we put in there for that thank you everybody for listening and supporting the show if you have a few minutes please leave me an itunes review but more importantly enjoy the episode So, why don't you tell me about the first time or the first Dark Souls game that you played?
1: Well, I mean, that would have been Dark Souls. Uh, I jumped into it pretty late. And uh, unlike probably a lot more stories, I jumped into it also pretty well informed. So, uh, at the time, I was much more into the let's play scene. And uh, there was a certain individual named Geop who was running a <laughs> Let's Play of Dark Souls. And, uh, like, I was so intrigued by the game that uh, I picked it up
0: and started following along. And uh, I don't know. I mean, so. That moment where the- Geop got invaded and in the Undead Burg, and the Lower <laughs> Undead Burg, was, like, one of the moments where, like, sealed my love and obsession with Dark Souls. I was like, oh, okay. I like this. This is good. Yeah, I yeah, know. <laughs>
1: Um, beyond that, though, I mean, well, starting there, so I, I picked up the game, but it took me a really long time to sink my teeth into it, to be honest, because, um, like, I, I was informed of the game, but my mechanics are not the best. It takes me a while to pick and pick really anything up. So, um, there was a very long time that I was just stonewalled on, you know, Ornstein and Smo, like most people are, but, um... You know, I had to break past that. I guess once I finished my first playthrough of that game, though, it was like I unlocked so much in myself because I played it. I've played it subsequently, like at least a dozen times, and uh, different approaches each time.
0: Well, let's um, let let's let's go back a little bit so when you were yeah. um so you you were into this uh lp uh that giop was doing but what was the what was the thing that finally sealed you into buying the game was it like a sale or did somebody give it to you like what what was the final like push the, the straw that broke the camel's back so to speak
1: oh no it went on sale okay cool so uh that was pretty much it <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you um did you struggle with the game uh you said you were not much for mechanics and dark souls is kind of known with um because i know like just approaching it as a standard video game is kind of like an action rpg game up to that point um like those stamina management and things like that were really confusing for me did you have any difficulty with any of that stuff
1: um i mean so my memory is getting it's it's a distant memory now like i have the game so internalized at this point but uh i remember specifically having trouble with uh gosh like, I never got into combat rolling, even though I liked playing uh, lightweight, flighty characters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had to compensate around that. Uh, Capra Demon was always a roadblock.
0: Just the typical stuff. You said you were pretty familiar with the game. Were you um, looking up Wikipedias mm-hmm. or relying upon, like, did Something Awful has a pretty significant you know, Dark Souls community around it? Uh, were you relying on threads to help you out, or were you just kind of approaching yeah. it as blind as you possibly could?
1: No, no, I, I did not take it blind at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, like, I was basically following behind Geops LP once I picked okay. it up. Like, uh, I picked it up about halfway through, I think, when he was around Sense Fortress. Mm-hmm and uh so i was i was sort of keeping pace i'd see his his video and then you know so it's like uh when i when i got to send's fortress myself i knew exactly where to go for the upstairs bonfire
0: gotcha so you were you yeah. already kind of clued in you were in the know as they say in bloodborne
1: yeah no surprises there but um you know mechanically i always had to do like i always felt i had to do extra um, attempts at everything. And there's there's a couple reasons for that though. It's because uh I I knew at the time, like from the beginning that it was possible to to clear the game at level 1 with a, you know, level 1 pyromancer. And so I locked myself in A to a wanderer who um is a character that I still feel really attached to. But B, I also stopped leveling around 20 for my first playthrough
0: for any particular reason or just because it was a challenge or
1: Uh, because it's a nice round number and you know i didn't really feel that i needed to go overboard with uh more stats and stuff because all it seemed to be like i saw videos of other people playing the game and they had hp bars that went all the way across the screen (laughs) and you know i thought you know the game's not really designed around that or it is kind of designed around that but it's so permissive in how you can build your character. I just didn't bother, you know. I just used the gear that I I leveled up until I could use the gear that I wanted effectively, and then finished out the game. And that's how that was. That's what informed all my subsequent playthroughs. I just had different different ideas, you know. Instead of instead of doing a wanderer like uh, a whirling dervish type swordsman, you know, then I went on to build a, a magic swordsman so on
0: okay did you always stick around level 20 or did you give yourself some breathing room at any point
1: um further on i started uh leveling up like actually i have a playthrough right now which i'm about uh, well it's a it's a grind because i'm trying to 100% the game on steam okay and uh i've gotten everything Towards that, except for the uh, Knight's Honor, where you have to <laughs> get have all the
0: weapons, you yeah. have to have all the weapons.
1: It requires three playthroughs, and I even sort of jump-started it by uh, item muling with some friends mm-hmm. using uh, summoning. So, and even then, I still have to finish another playthrough. So, I've been in that playthrough. That's been sort of an experiment in well, what if I did take. Artorias' is great sword, and just do a a true quality build, including you know the uh, <clears throat> the uh, magic, the magical stats.
0: Just raise faith and intelligence and everything up across the board. Just everything, yeah. Do you like it?
1: <clears throat> mm. Um. It's not as successful unless, like, I don't know. Probably would be great if you're like soul level two hundred or some shit. But <laughs> uh, it's not great, like. It doesn't really do much until... Well, the moveset on Artorias' Greatsword is a little weird. Yes. And uh, it doesn't really do much until you have that ridiculous soul level. So, like, I I honestly ended up just using other weapons.
0: Yeah, for those listening that aren't... That don't remember like this one particular weapon that you can make from this one particular boss's soul. Um, it actually scales from all four stats. So in theory, it was known as the strongest weapon in the game because if you raised your stats high enough, your you know your your straight up damage would just be higher than anything. And um, I want to say that it does all physical damage as well. So like, there's no you know where you, there's no going through multiple defenses on an enemy. Um, but the stat investment to do so was like like Silver said, like 200 almost to get all of your stats up to 30 or 40 where you would want it to do. And uh, I never really clicked with the moveset myself. I never... Because I did that. Like, I I did the soul glitch and went to, like, level 9,000 or whatever. like, <laughs> And then did, you know, that sword and just didn't have any fun with it.
1: Well, uh, the... Like, about two-thirds of the moveset really clicks with me because um, my... Not my first playthrough, but one of my uh, early playthroughs, I guess you'd say. I locked into using the bastard sword pretty early Mm -hmm. and uh actually yeah that would have been my uh, no it wasn't my my magic swordsman character it was some other character that i probably didn't completely finish the game with but uh the broadsword moveset like it's uh the broadsword sorry but the uh bastard sword it's uh it's basically a great sword with um an overhead attack and some good like sweeping attacks and those attacks are mostly preserved with artorius's greatsword so as long as you have the strength to uh use it that way it's it's pretty comfortable i just never use the r2 the two-handed r2
0: i feel like the weapons like there's some weapons that i really really enjoy and in dark souls probably the moonlight greatsword is is up there in my favorites um but the the moveset's um, even compared to demons, which came before it, feel a little constricted, and especially nowadays that you're, you know, post Bloodborne and post Dark Souls three, like the weapons very much feel restrictive. Uh, going to, going back to Dark Souls one the other day, I was like, oh, I've only, I've only got this. Okay, so no comp. Okay, just this one button that I can press. Cool, cool, cool. All right.
1: <laughs> yeah, the trick weapons are by far my favorite part of, oh, yeah. of Bloodborne. Absolutely. I can totally forgive, totally forgive the fact that there's so few of them. Uh, They're just so satisfying to
0: use. I've said this before, going from Bloodborne to Dark Souls 3, even with the weapon arts, I just felt... And I know you haven't gone very far in Dark Souls 3, so I'm not going to go deep Mm -hmm. into that. But uh, coming from the Bloodborne stuff, I was just... Like I felt inhibited almost because the Bloodborne weapons are just you have so many different combos and moves and things that you can do with those weapons. I don't mind that there was only like I think they ended up with twenty maybe, eighteen twenty in the game. Don't mind that at all. Like I feel like they did such a good job with every weapon. What's your favorite one?
1: In uh, Bloodborne? Yeah. It's a toss up between the rider Palash and the threaded cane. Really? Like they both they both feel so good to me. You know, the the threaded cane like the way it combos between being a whip, like the transformation attacks on the threaded cane, I think are the best. The way it transforms between being a whip and being a sword, and just the the general like Castlevania f- like feeling and vibe that you get from using it, it's it's just ecstatic. It's you euf- it's eu- it's euphoric for me, you know.
0: The um uh, the threaded cane is my well, first playthrough weapon. Um. And I just the crowd control on the transformed stuff it was just so good. Like I, and I'm always I was one of those garbage some, uh, Soul Caliber Ivy players. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. you put a chain sword in front of me, and I'm probably going to go after it. Like that's that's just who <laughs> I am inside. So um, like that, that that weapon was so good. I've never really heard anybody talk about the uh, weapon whose name I can't pronounce that you just rolled off really easy. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I was uh, I wasn't a German major, but I studied like if I could have majored in high school, I would have majored in German. Okay. So, uh yeah, it's a German term so whatever. Uh, but that particular, so the the Reiterpialache, um like it's so nice. I really don't shoot with it much. I just like the uh it's it's the only rapier really in um Bloodborne, but it's it fills the same role like it's so satisfying for me because I like the rapiers in Dark Souls, but I wish they had more moves, and that's exactly what the Rider Palash is with its transformation. So you can you can do sweeping attacks or stabbing attacks with it, and it's very versatile. Interesting.
0: I guess to to roll back over to Dark Souls One, um, mm-hmm. you you've mentioned um, that you have like a lot of playthroughs. How many times have you gone through Dark Souls One at this point?
1: Yeah, I was. I uh, think I said towards the beginning around a dozen, at least a dozen by now. Wow. So yeah um, what's the
0: what's what's the appeal for going through that game multiple times with different builds for you
1: I, I just like different builds and i sort of role play with it like i come up with a background for the character like why they've made their way to uh blah, 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 lord ran
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so like i mentioned you know i can i can think about these builds and just be like yeah that's a character uh, <laughs> so i mentioned my magic swordsman um I specifically made that character with the the information that the Moonlight Greatsword existed in the game and how you would have to build around it. So that was me trying to crack how do you build a character that's going to be viable in the early game and then be able to pick up the Moonlight Greatsword and be and have it be like, you know, they, they just came home like like it's been meant for them the entire time. And uh so I um I believe I started with a sorcerer, okay. and uh, very quickly I switched over to using a longsword on him and upgrading it with Rickert, and uh, you know, so I ran around with a magic longsword, you know, for most of the game. Um, I picked up the claymore as well, and I enchanted it once I had the um, the ember for that. And uh, so I sort of was switching between the two. Only problem with that particular playthrough was once you get, once you actually get to the Duke's archive, that build is
0: garbage. Everything so, is magic resistant in the Duke's archives. Yeah. It sucks so bad. So, so and it makes part, it's yeah. It's a weird. It's a nice bit of environmental storytelling that like mm-hmm. this this place of magic learning is the place that you know people have obviously built up the most or enemies have built up the most resistance to magic to. But like man, it doesn't fuck you over as a sorcerer build. It's just the worst. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, I took a segue there and I made a uh, lightning um bastard sword, because you know, bastard swords are cheap. You don't have to commit too much. Like you're not committing a uh, really rare and vital weapon that you could take to plus fifteen instead. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're just taking a bastard if you're just buying a bastard sword from Andre, you know. And it's it's still a very decent weapon for what it is. I think I um yeah, I did a comparison a while ago of like a a deep physics or not physics, but uh like just a by the numbers comparison between the bastard sword the claymore and not the zweihänder but i forget that other large it's a great sword that you can get fairly early maybe i am thinking of the the bastard sword but i did a by the numbers comparison and the bastard sword is like 95% as good as um the other great swords as far as damage goes so mm-hmm. They're you no yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 fine. And you can buy them
0: infinitely from Andre. Mm-hmm. You can have two. <laughs> what is it that um you, you mentioned that you kind of role play these these stories like are you pulling yeah. are you pulling lore and things from the game in order to write your your own character stories as you as you move through the game?
1: Um a little bit a little bit I'm pulling from lore. I mean I don't really think about it too deeply. I just sort of think about the attitude that that character would have. But I also pull ideas from pop culture. So, uh, like, my current character, not like pop Mm -hmm. culture as in, like, uh, I don't know, uh, Big Bang Theory, but uh, more like uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, My current playthrough, where I'm trying to 100%, uh, the main character is wholly based on Brienne of Tarth
0: from nice. game of thrones? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So, um, yeah, so she's a uh quality build mm-hmm. character and um, you know, use yeah, I started out with the broadsword, so uh it, which is an interesting weapon. Uh it, it's a little bit I think it's a little underappreciated both the broadsword and the longsword, but the difference between them, like the broadsword is very versatile for what it is. It just doesn't have any stabbing attacks, which kind of sucks, but um i mean it's carried me through uh you know new game plus already and i'm into new game plus too
0: do you ever like get into like which covenant <clears throat> brienne of tarth would be attached to and like try to I- increase your your favor with those covenants or anything like that i'm just kind of curious how because i don't really talk to a lot of people that um like kind of role play their character through there or if, if i do I, it never comes up because they don't mention it so i'm just kind of Picking it all of this if you if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, I actually really forget if I picked a covenant for her, but in her case also, like uh she's kind of a wild card, I guess, because uh, for that playthrough I've had to kill Gwendolyn twice. And uh, <laughs> His, you know, uh... just, just go to go to Orlando and like fuck all their shit up. And it's like <laughs> so the role-playing kind of breaks down at that point.
0: You have to get that uh Dark Moon bow if you gotta get that mm-hmm. achievement. <clears throat> yep uh the catalyst too oh so true yeah uh do you do a lot of like 100 in these games like is that something that you kind of get into um i would do it for souls let's put it that way okay (laughs) did you do it for bloodborne
1: i'm still working on bloodborne like uh bloodborne actually i will admit i have not finished an entire playthrough of so uh i just i just deeply enjoy dicking around in it (laughs)
0: You make that it's, sound like you have started several, but you have just not finished any particular one.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh in Bloodborne, um I'm about I, I've only taken any particular character about two thirds of the way through. Um but I have a Blood Tinge character, I have a strength build, and I have a wacky um dexterity build as well. And uh they're all I'm all I'm pretty comfortable with all of them. It's just uh well I've similar I've run into similar roadblocks in that game like how uh Gascoigne's fight can be so incredibly like variable, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes sometimes you walk in and it's nothing and then other times he just eviscerates you.
0: <laughs> it's like you got a random roll of the dice and it's like okay, now he's going to be aggressive. Now he's going to go after you.
1: Oh, now he's going to
0: be standing in front of a wall when he goes berserk. <laughs> <laughs> um I guess going back to Dark Souls 1, you said you finished it several times. Yeah. Um are you the type of person that goes through all of the lore videos online, or do you try to break oh, any other yeah. stuff down yourself or like because some people just play it for the mechanics, some people play it for the story. Like where where do you fall?
1: In general, so I do love the lore videos, like uh, especially Vati Vidya and um Epic Name Bro. Mm-hmm. But as far as my actual personal connection with the game, the story is kind of window dressing honestly um The mechanics are much more interesting to me, just how they've balanced the game and how you how so much stuff so much different stuff is viable depending on your skill level
0: Where does that appreciation come from like what's your history with games? Have you been playing all your life or? uh yeah I mean. I uh
1: yeah I started on the Atari 8-bit computers.
0: Oh jeez, yeah.
1: With video games, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um that's kind of a weird story because my family was A little behind the times. So I grew up in the in the I was born in the 80s and I grew up through the 90s with uh, these 1970s home computers. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't until 1997 that I finally got a Nintendo 64, and that was my first modern console.
0: Was it? it uh, that must have been a pretty weird shift, right? Going from like these old, like kind of monochrome consoles to something like the Nintendo sixty four, which was at the time kind of mind blowing for its graphics. Like nowadays, it looks kind of jank, but you know, at the time, it was pretty
1: good. Uh, it wasn't too bad because I had contemporary PCs at the time. So, gotcha. okay, so you were playing... keeping up on the PCs. So. Yeah, yeah, StarCraft and Diablo for the most part.
0: Um, You sound kind of like a PC gamer at at heart. Are you, I mean, like, was Bloodborne a, like a, did you purchase a PS4 specifically for Bloodborne? Like, did you say, oh, like, that's another Souls game I got to get after that?
1: I did purchase it specifically for Bloodborne.
0: (laughs) Nice. But. You're in good company, so don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
1: since getting it, I've also gone back to Uncharted and um, uh, Destiny as well oh cool destiny destiny well destiny interested me really deeply for a couple weekends and then i sort of lost interest in it went back to dark souls
0: i'm um actually the the duck stream event that's happening this weekend duck spring mm. i'm doing uh like a four-hour destiny raid with me and a couple of other people from the network and some other podcasts that i do yeah i've well, done any of the rating before but it's really weird and kind of dumb so it's really fun for a stream that sounds
1: like a fun event, and uh, everyone should watch it.
0: <laughs> it does sound like that, like a fun event that everybody should watch. Now, and, and you know, now that this is coming out in June, <laughs> and that was three months mm-hmm. ago. Whoops, um, I kind of totally lost my train of thought. Well, if that was the the game that you purchased a PS4 for, um, mm-hmm. what what was your lead up to Bloodborne? Like, had you seen the, the kind of elite weird gifts that were out, out there showing like Project Beast or were you watching the trailers or how did you get, how did you get, how did you notice Bloodborne for the first time?
1: I saw the Project Beast stuff. Like I was aware. Okay. So this is one of the things I have been thinking about um, is the relationship between Bloodborne and Dark Souls two, because okay. it was, so I saw the Project Beast stuff uh, cause I was following the uh, Dark Souls thread on something awful. And uh like it was really obvious that the the team that had made Dark Souls and Demon Souls sort of you know got Shanghai, well not Shanghai, but they sort of went off to do Bloodborne instead of working on Dark Souls 2. And uh so that's what I got more intensely interested in. When I when I heard about the development on Dark Souls 2 versus Project Beast or at around the same time as Project Beast it was really obvious to me that Dark Souls 2 was not going to be really a mainstream Dark Souls game. It was going to be something else. And uh, so uh, I was also like, Geops Let's Play it made me so hungry for the game that I, you know, I started finding other, source, other video sources to watch, such as Epic Name Bros videos. And he started, he actually started a uh, Bloodborne Let's Play before it came out because he was privileged enough to have uh, been given early access to it since he was writing the uh, the player's guide. And so I saw, you know, I was getting into Bloodborne before it was even released. And, you know, I didn't get a PlayStation 4 until I think a year or two after Bloodborne was released. But I just wanted to play it, you know. Mm
0: hmm. Did the um, change in setting attract you into it at all?
1: Uh, The change in setting in particular did attract me because uh, it seemed very Castlevania to me. And Castlevania was one of my formative video games. So I did mention growing up on Atari, but uh, my friends all had Nintendo. And so I I did have exposure to Nintendo games. And Castlevania 2 in particular was one of my favorites and just seeing that threaded cane being in bloodborne you know that's what really drew me into it um, aside i mean in addition to the the lovecraftian story and uh the the just all the other trick weapons as well like it's such an interesting gimmick
0: it it, it really is so you knew about the like major lovecraft twist in the middle uh way before you actually played the game yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, do, you, do you find that knowing those kind of spoilers, like, improves your experience with the game? Because um, you don't, you kind of don't need to worry about what it's, Like, you kind of already know what to expect. Or do you feel like it kind of removes some of that um, aha moments that you would have?
1: Um, see, I don't really pick up on stuff easily until at way, like, after. Mm-hmm. I don't really need stuff explained to me, but... Um, I'm not really big on eureka moments. I I sort of reflect on stuff afterwards and then figure it out. And so having pre knowledge makes it flow better for me. I would say. Okay. You know, I'm I'm not bothered at all by being spoiled uh, on anything. Honestly, you know, I'll I'll read entire movie synopses before I go to see the movie. Uh, I feel like having knowledge of what's going to happen improves my understanding as it happens. So it makes it more enjoyable.
0: Yeah, kind of like how. Like, if you know, like, kind of the big twist of Westworld, like, watching through Westworld makes it a different experience if you, but versus you not knowing, like, some of the bigger twists. Mm, yeah. I've, I've been thinking about Westworld a lot lately. Like, I didn't like the way that it ended, but I kind of really want to go back and watch it now that it's, I have seen the ending. So, sorry. I don't yeah. know why I'm bringing that up on a Dark Souls podcast, but here we go. <laughs>
1: well, talking about uh, Dark Souls 2 versus Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to bring up something in particular that was did bug me to high hell about Dark Souls Two is like, why does it feel so bad? You know. Um, and uh, I remember also when when Dark Souls Two was the most recent Dark Souls game, there was, uh, like there was the sort of majority opinion that it wasn't as good as Dark Souls One, but there was this really vocal minority that always. chastised people who criticized Dark Souls 2 because you know, oh, you're not good enough at the game, you know, oh, they made it different so that you wouldn't be the same experience and that sort of stuff and uh, these same people that sort of just disappeared after Dark Souls like they completely shut up when Dark Souls 3 came out (laughs) That's really Uh, funny. Yeah, but uh, I actually did a lot of, I did a bit of experimentation in preparation for this podcast uh, with the physical mechanics of Dark Souls 2 and how it differs, and I found a couple of interesting things. Do tell. Uh,
0: You're the the first person, I think, that's done homework for this podcast before, including (laughs) myself, so. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Well, uh, one thing is that, so a lot of the same weapons are in Dark Souls 2, but very few of them, like most of them, have completely new animation sets for them. And uh, the problem is they did motion capture for these new animations that they did. And when you're going from keyframe animation to motion capture, motion capture is always going to feel more slow because it's, it's you know sort of grounded in reality. And uh, one of the things about attack animations in Dark Souls is they're not like fighting with a real weapon. And with a real weapon, you're not going to commit as hard to an attack because if you miss, you're going to be vulnerable. In real life, you're going to make the minimum attack that you can to strike your opponent and and avoid exposing yourself at all unless you're 100% sure you're going to hit um so you have these animations that are slower and different and so if you had a weapon that you liked in dark souls 1 going to dark souls 2 that weapon's completely different and also very likely not as satisfying to use Uh, i noticed this in particular with the halberd now i love the halberd in dark souls 1 but in dark souls 2 it's a completely different moveset and it's just not fun to use uh the other go ahead go on well, yeah. The other major thing, like this is a this is a huge thing. Yet you don't think about. But um, this is a major thing. Uh, you in Dark Souls two, if you do, if you execute a strong attack, you cannot follow it up with a weak attack. So you can in Dark Souls 1, you can chain weak attacks and strong attacks together seamlessly. But in Dark Souls 2, once you execute that strong attack, you have to wait for the entire attack backswing before you can execute a weak attack. And that interrupts your combo and slows down the combat considerably.
0: Do you know if that does it, the same thing in power stancing as well? Because I feel like... Um... Because my big my big Dark Souls 2 playthrough was with like power stance to maces. Um and I felt like I had a like a really good combo, but I'm not sure if that I was mixing up my strong or weak attacks on there. Um so I don't I don't really remember if that
1: Yeah, hmm. I'm not sure about uh power stancing, though I will I will concede that power stancing is the one saving grace of Dark Souls 2. It's so awesome. Um, like it's so I, much I fun. Made, I made a character named Hoke Hogan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who power stance maces and mm-hmm. uh, did a little bit of co-op with it. It was pretty fun.
0: Power stance maces will get you very, very far into that game. It's uh, a, yeah. it's, it's good. Um, uh, the one weapon that I saw
1: that has like frame for frame the same animations as Dark Souls one is the longsword. And so the longsword is actually probably, you know. Like decent enough in Dark Souls 2, but the fact that you can't go strong to weak is a real deal breaker, you know. So,
0: so that's is that the reason that you kind of bounced off Dark Souls 2? Is just that these kind of mechanical difficulties? Well, or, the not mechanical, difficulties,
1: but differences, I should say. The mechanical differences, yeah. Well, I would call them difficulties because uh, it makes it a much slower game. So, mm-hmm. but uh, it was a very large part that, but. Um, I did say that the storytelling in Dark Souls one is sort of window dressing, but Mm -hmm. in Dark Souls two, it's like they are lampshading so hard that it is window dressing that it becomes annoying. Okay.
0: Did you have, uh, um, like with, with Dark Souls one, um, like a lot of players like feel like they're kind of bonded with some of the NPC characters. Like, so is obviously the big one, but even some of the smaller ones, um, they get like a lot of attention because people read between the lines and that stuff. Did you, did you have any of that emotion or any of that attachment to the characters in dark souls one? Um,
1: to an extent. Yeah. Uh, I was pretty well invested in Ziegmeier's story. story.
0: hmm Old onion uh, bro himself.
1: Yeah, um, like a lot of the characters just intrigued me on a general level. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, the the firekeeper and Anne Orlando, like her story is really is pretty tragic to me, you know. And I I really admire the stoicism of the firekeepers, even though even though they're essentially doing the wrong thing. Like you you I can't help but admire their commitment to what they're doing, and you know what they uh in case you know the listeners aren't aware firekeepers uh they carry so much humanity in their soul that it starts to deform their bodies which is why the uh, anna orlando firekeeper is wearing full body armor is because she doesn't want to show off the like humanity crawling under her skin so, but they do what they do because they see it as keeping the world alive.
0: Yeah, and it's the same reason that um, Anastasia in the Firelight Shrine doesn't talk. Like they cut her tongue mm-hmm. up because they didn't want her to talk about these kind of. They just wanted her to do the thing, which is and uh, also very part, tragic.
1: Yeah, part of her quest is restoring her, you know, back to health, or mm-hmm. you know, restoring her tongue and everything. And and when you do that, she's not happy about it. She it's she yeah. So
0: I remember being so surprised that um, mm-hmm. completing a quote unquote quest in Dark Souls would end up with yeah. almost a negative, like a worse result than when we started. <laughs> like it, mm-hmm. that felt like such a surprise for me. I just had, games hadn't really like messed with my head like that before, especially not games like action RPGs on a console had not messed with my head like that ever. So like to have something like her. For me to finish this thing and to kill this guy and his two buddies that killed her and to like me thinking I'm the hero and that I'm gonna you know I'm gonna restore her to her whatever and then her be like this sucks like put me back I was like oh wait what did I do (laughs) it was such a such a great moment in Dark Souls for me
1: yeah well yeah I mean that really jives with uh, something that I kind of consider. Uh, it's not. I, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks this way, but um, you know, heroes think they're making a difference, but people, like, everyone just is trying to do what they think is the best thing they can do, and they may be right about it, they may be wrong. I think some of the best villains out there in literature and such are people that do wrong because they honestly think it's the best thing that they can be doing. You know, and... Uh, as a hero in Dark Souls, there they are sort of they're very much portraying that and you know subverting the standard vision of a hero that you know, does good. And it's like, well yeah, you're doing your best, but the results are not always not always positive. In fact, well I mean Dark Souls one, the two endings you can choose are between basically trashing everything and and ushering in an age of darkness or just perpetuating this world where mankind is enslaved by these greater beings.
0: Which, I mean, it, it it even seems like on the, when you zoom out of the dark souls, one story a little bit are basically the same ending because they're going to always end up, Going right back to where it was to begin with, like that cycle is always going to be there, so no matter which one you choose, it's ultimately irrelevant because it's they're just going to blend into the next one, no matter what, like this is going to keep going keep happening, which is see kind of that's a bummer. something
1: yeah that's something so what I disliked about Dark Souls 2 is that it basically said that the story of Dark Souls One doesn't matter, everything's going to be the same forever. I always felt that like I always like personally. I always pick the dark ending in Dark Souls One, except for well, okay, it depends on the character. Uh, some of my some of my characters that I have created have they genuinely thought that linking the fire was the right thing to do. Um, but I personally feel like ushering in the age of dark is what you should do because it's the only way to progress in the world. You know, I, I feel that that's how that's the sort of i mean it's not the canon ending but that's the right ending is ending the game you know and bringing an agency to humanity mm-hmm. by making them the lords of the world cuz you know the dragons had their time and they came and went the lords time is ending it's time for man to begin to to inherit the world
0: mm-hmm. and the, the dark souls 2 kind of um, copying out of that really, really bothers you?
1: Uh, not only copying out of it, but saying that it's been going on for so long that nobody remembers why anyone's been doing it. <laughs> you know, the wor- the world's just gotten so, like, just done with it, but can't stop. Well, I, uh, you, I don't I, know.
0: I know you haven't finished Bloodborne, but how would you compare Dark Souls 1 story of that, that cycle existing and things kind of being in constant movement to Bloodborne's, which is, it's almost like kind of a, it's not necessarily a short story, but it's almost a novella with a clear beginning and a clear ending. Especially at this point, after the DLC has come out and all of that. Well,
1: Bloodborne has a few different endings. I mean, mm-hmm. um, but uh, so most of those endings end with Yarnum just continuing down the same path it's been. Except maybe it's going. Maybe the next time there is a hunt, it's going to be even worse. Um it's only the um only when you become a great one does it really hmm, does it really have like a, a really an ending that really has something resolved because that's where well, okay, the Yarnum Dawn also sorta of resolves because the player character breaks out of the dream and regains his player agency. But when you become a great one You you regain your agency as well as having the potential to effect real change upon Yarnum. So, uh, but I feel that the other endings uh, where you become either you become the new oh no 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 I'm I'm thinking of there's only three endings that's right so the middle ending where you become the host of the Hunter's Dream you know that's that's very similar i think to linking the fire in dark souls
0: yeah, where I mean, you basically know basically taking over the mantle of this of this perseverance of the world like i'm going to keep everything yeah. in the status quo
1: yeah well so and i think there's two ways to look at it either you know you want to create a brave new world or you're scared of that you just want to keep the status quo because the Ah, uh, the potentiality of something worse—you know—just scares you. You know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Were there any? Uh, Bloodborne is a lot lighter on the NPCs than Dark mm-hmm. Souls one, and even Dark Souls two. Were there any particular characters that stood out to you as far as like um, the stories that you enjoyed the most, or their, you know, whatever particular piece of lore that you pulled out of it? Were you, did anything particularly in particular call out to you?
1: Oh, by far. I'm drawing a blank on her name, but uh, the crow. I like mean. Eileen the Crow, yeah, she is by far my favorite character i mean so i i'm very i I greatly admire women in in video games and stories, especially especially women that have um like very a very strong agency to them and mm. Eileen the Crow definitely does um uh Zeke Linda in Dark Souls One and Kyron as well. Like they're my sort of my two favorite characters in in Dark Souls one I would say but uh, Dar in um, Bloodborne I almost said Dark Souls two because I sort of <laughs> I I sort of see Bloodborne as the real Dark Souls two but anyway definitely Eileen the crow and also Queen Annelise
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um uh, sort of little known fact about well I mean it's it's probably known now but um. You can you can find a wedding or sorry, a, a betrothal ring mm-hmm. uh um in Dark Soul or sorry <laughs> in Bloodborne in one of the chalice dungeons. It's really hard to find. No like it was completely hidden um for like I think almost a year after the game came out. But if you find it, you can actually propose to Queen Annalise and she politely refuses you. But it's in there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I can't think of any better way for that to go
0: (laughs) than for her to just gently let you down. Yeah. (laughs) I like Queen Annalise a lot. I like the scene that you get with um, Alfred with Queen Annalise as as violent, as weird as it is. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not and it's it's. Colored a little bit because i don't i don't i like queen annalise a lot so i obviously don't like seeing her like Mm. splattered across the chair but um yeah just alfred making that turn especially and i feel like they very very specifically chose uh solera's voice actor to be in that role so you'd kind of think like this was going to be your bro for the end of time and he turns out to be stark raving mad like i think that's that's really fun
1: Uh, i don't really see it as a turn i just see it as this i mean i think that's how he's always been it's just he, he You're not in a position to see it until it happens,
0: you know. Yeah, I guess. I guess the surprise from the player character because, like, he's you know, up, up until um, the old hunters patch, um, you couldn't. He was the only person in the game you could summon besides Father Gascoin, which obviously doesn't work that work out very well. Yeah. Um. So like, he was kind of your bro. Like, he was the one like person that was like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna go do this thing. I'm on this quest. Um, seems cool." And then, yeah, he does not end up very well.
1: <clears throat> yeah, that does remind me though the uh, the boss fight in Kanehurst Castle. Ah, uh, oh, that is such like just watching that fight is it is it's just an amazing it, there's so much style to that fight when he plants that sword and uh, you know starts raining down death upon you
0: yes absolutely <laughs> I love I love 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 when he does the um like the dive attack when he jumps way up in the air and you can't see him it usually breaks your lock on and then you kind of have to look around for him and then dives at you you can uh, parry him out of that which mm-hmm. makes yeah. you feel like the biggest badass of all time. Like that this dude oh, was man. swooping down and you just like shot his arm and now he, you can, you know, do a visceral attack on him. That's so good.
1: Yeah. I felt so good when I beat him for the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, man. Um, also he attacks you with skulls and skulls are awesome.
0: And skulls are awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you, did you do any of the DLC? I know you said you didn't, you haven't finished the game, but did you get into, the ah, DLC man,
1: the I dabbled in the DLC? Like, so bloodborne is so hard for me. Uh, but that's why I enjoy it. I mean, I, I I don't feel like I need to beat a game to get enjoyment out of it. You know, it's, it's all. Especially these Souls games, because like they don't they don't backload the games at all. Uh, my most memorable moment, like honestly, especially like like I feel like I've gotten some decent enjoyment even out of Dark Souls 2, because it's a little bit front loaded, and because the multiplayer is so front loaded. So um, that sort of lowers the bar, you know, because otherwise people the game falls off as you get towards the end, as far as multiplayer goes, because Mm -hmm. fewer and fewer people are making it to the further parts of the game, so it's harder to find either summons or um, PvP. Uh, So those those early fights are like the most interesting ones, I think. Ah, sort of. I mean. Mm, okay. <laughs> well, I would say for Dark Souls 2, those early fights are the most the most interesting ones, the the old dragon rider and the um the last giant, uh, cuz, you know, you're going to find people there that mm-hmm. uh you can fight with or you can you can team up with. Mhm. Um the early fights in Dark Souls 1 are really uninspired. I feel like the Capra demon. So the Capra demon is Like such a roadblock for people, because it's the first fight where mechanics in the game actually come into play. Like, the Taurus Demon and the Asylum Demon, you can just sort of stand in in a particular spot and wail on them, and you're fine. But when you get to the Capra Demon, suddenly features of the game that you might not know about come into play. Like, uh, those dogs are attacking you, and they do bleed... Which you might not have seen, and they are really good at damaging your poise, which is not really well like presented to players or at all, <laughs> or at <laughs> other all.
0: than a menu option. <laughs> yeah,
1: and then the the Capra Demon hits so hard that if you don't have a shield with high stability, you can't block it really well. Like he's just going to stagger you every time. So uh, if you're going into, so you know, you can play the first quarter of the game without any knowledge about poise or uh, armor or upgrading your weapons or anything, but then you go against the Capra Demon and then suddenly, like, it's actually really important whether or not you found the wolf ring. Uh, It's really important whether or not you've been upgrading your shield and your weapons, because you want to kill those dogs. Yeah. yeah.
0: Absolutely. You want to make sure that you have stability so you can actually block an attack. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah unless you uh read game facts and you just throw dung piles over the wall
0: <laughs> <laughs> i you know i've seen that i've i've read that several times but i've never actually mm-hmm. um i've never done it myself i, I any of those like weird um Kind of, not, I don't. I don't want to say hacky methods, but kind of um, shortcuts, like killing manas with the arrows and yeah. the, from the DLC. Uh, I just have never gotten really into like anything that seems like it takes a lot of time to do. I'm just kind of not into.
1: No, in general, I I don't like doing like really grindy hacky kills, but fighting latrek i don't always find interesting or possible depending on the build so i will just grab a bunch a, a stack of poison arrows and shoot them yeah. at him from max range.
0: <laughs> i can get behind that
1: uh the one time or not the one time but one of the the most memorable time i fought him was when i was on a character with a high level pyromancy flame and uh i fought his two mooks with uh great chaos fireballs. Nice. That was, that was pretty fun.
0: I bet that was fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I had originally asked, and I think we kind of veered off it when we started talking about, um, uh, cheesy stuff, but, uh, did you play yeah. the, the Bloodborne DLC? Did you get very far into it? I'd be kind of curious of your opinion since oh, you like right, the right. Man, set piece of Bulgaria so much. Um, what would you think about Lady Maria or Orphan uh, of
1: <laughs> I've seen some of the videos. Oh, yeah, that's actually kind of a blind spot for me because I've watched videos of the entire, um bloodborne game except the dlc because the dlc came out later so uh, uh yeah i i bought the soundtrack for it though and i love lady maria's theme and i absolutely love um uh, da, 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 i don't know Ooh, what his name the moonlight greatsword guy
0: <laughs> um
1: uh Why can't i, I, I want to say
0: Logarius? but that's not it it's not law track. No, it's, it's not. um Oh, dude, it's... Whose holy blade is it? Let me, it? It's, let me um, open... S- Ludwig. Ludwig, there you go. Thank you. Yeah, I absolutely
1: love his theme. It is so good. Ah, but yeah, like, as far as getting into the DLC, I've hardly gotten past it, because those NPC hunters always whoop my ass.
0: Yeah, they're they're really, really tough, especially for as early as you can get to them. They're very, very tough.
1: Well, especially because I tend not to level up very much, so, uh, Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a little I might be a little under to for the DLC. Uh but speaking of music though, uh, music in these games really blows me away. The way the way it uses music, like every time I hear the Firelink Shrine theme from Dark Souls 1, I mm-hmm. just I'm just awash with emotion because it's such a minimalist theme, but it evokes this sense of sort of like it's a, it, it's safe it's like a sense of safety but also tragedy you know
0: it's interesting that you say tragedy i've always associated it with almost a longing like like yeah, it makes yeah. me feel like i want yeah. something that i can't have and like I, there's something missing for some reason yeah
1: well that's another thing is uh in dark souls 1 the relationship with firelink shrine in dark souls 1 i think is way better than in majula or dark souls 3 because the Firelink Shrine is, you know, it's a safe place. It's one of the f- very few safe places in Dark Souls, in Lordran. But it's really, there's really not much to it. You know, it's kind of a hub, but not really. You know, it's, it's between a couple of different zones. But as you progress through the game, its, it's use as a hub wears off. And so you have to keep moving, like, your base, your, your sort of base bonfire. You have to keep moving it around, especially if um, LaTrek kills the firekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just that feeling of loneliness and of just not having a home in Lordran is really powerful, I think. It's, it's such a huge part of the game, the, the sort of atmosphere to it.
0: Well, what, um, as a person that plays a lot of games and as a person that obviously has a, a strong love for the souls games, uh, from software has announced that they're working on a few projects, but what, what would you like to see from them? Like either oh, man. like just pie in the sky, any setting, any game type, or like just anything at all. Like it could be dark souls. Okay. 5 if you wanted to. So like, what, what would you, do? what would you like to see them do?
1: Okay. I'll be totally honest here. Uh, the, um. Sort of fan bait answer, I would say, is another not front mission, armored core.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, if they made another armored core game, I would I would snatch it right up.
0: That's that's uh, but, pretty much confirmed. That's all but confirmed okay. at this point. So. Yeah.
1: But honestly, what like Pie in the Sky that they will never do is um I would like to see them do a souls-like game that is sort of based in event horizon. So Imagine this spaceship that has attempted to bridge the gap between universes in order to travel fast and instead has become this non-Euclidean horror space where there's like a cockpit of the ship or like parts of the ship left over that function as a sort of hub. But as you go to different wings of the ship you're going into different realities.
0: Okay. Like really playing with the, with the space and like what you can and cannot yeah. see.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like you go towards the engineering hub and you open a door and you're like on a planet. All of a sudden the door opens yeah. out in, into a planetscape.
0: I feel like Bloodborne played with some of that stuff with the dreamscapes mm-hmm. and the nightmares and things. I just wanted them yeah, to go. I want, yeah. I want them to lean all the way into it. Like, like you're saying, yeah. like I want to go from, you know, empty planet to, that you can't see anything into like oh here, here's a door i'm gonna go through this door and now i'm in you know victorian england or i'm in um Lordran or whatever it is like that that kind of style yeah yeah, yeah i'm, I'm like totally a, into that 100 i like that a lot a sci-fi souls game though
1: like a, a, a horrific sci-fi souls game like it would totally turn me on
0: have you played have you played dead space because that's probably as close as they've gotten in any, any oh, I own Dead Space. I have never even turned it on. <laughs> you, you should you should probably go check out Dead Space. I think that you yeah. would really really like it. Like it's it doesn't have that um that non Euclidean that kind of stuff that you were talking about. Like you're not warping through realities yeah. or anything. But um they play like it's a very you're a very slow plotting character and especially in the first game and the second and third they kind of speed you up a lot. But um in the first game yeah. like they. You're very slow. You're very plotting. All of your weapons are kind of makeshift, which I think is really interesting. It's just, just yeah, uh, yeah, it's, 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 really yeah, because
1: you're you're an engineer. Uh, mm. Actually, in college, I was part of a game design class. Oh, cool! And uh, I sort of took over a group. Essentially, well, okay, I joined a group, and nobody knew how to do anything. So I was the only one that had any ideas of how to how to draw or how to um, like think about game mechanics uh the game that i came up with was actually a survival horror game in space where you're on this space station that is being overcome by this genetic experiment gone wrong so there's sort of zombies like taking it over and so uh dead space kind of like i guess steals my thunder on that if i were to try to make us make that game in real life instead of just as a school project
0: i don't know um like what you're talking about kind of sounds more like a almost a um almost a roguelike as opposed to something as story driven uh, as as Dead Space. I, I may be exactly, off maybe mark. Like that's kind of what I was thinking in my head when you were
1: describing maybe, it. Maybe maybe I've gotten into roguelikes since then. And um, that reminds me of another thing but I'll get to it in a sec. But uh that game as I designed it was much more inspired by Parasite Eve. Gotcha. Um the main character was going to be a female like a strong female lead sort of thing. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, ooh, wow. I forgot what I was reminded of all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, perfect.
0: Well, that's okay. We're, we're pretty much right up on time anyway. I like to keep these about an hour. Yeah, yeah. Worth. So, um, well, thank you very much for guesting on the podcast, Silver. I very much appreciate you spending the time with me. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, yeah.
1: So, uh, I'm Silver. Uh, my full internet name, as I am a citizen of the internet, is uh, Silver Alicorn. Uh, it has nothing to do with. Uh, my little pony uh, my little pony came out well after I came up with that name
0: <laughs> is that a did you forgive me I don't I know nothing about my little pony besides like growing on the internet seem to abuse it but like is that like a common my little pony name
1: I hope to know as little about my little pony as I can cool uh, okay. fair I but, don't blame you <laughs> so an alicorn so okay if you well first of all uh, an alicorn is the is sort of an archaic term for A unicorn's horn Um, if you read a Dungeons and Dragons supplement called Bastards and Bloodlines there is also something called an alicorn in it an alicorn is a cross between a unicorn and a humanoid species so uh, that's more where I draw inspiration from Uh, my little pony an alicorn is a unicorn with pegasus wings which I, I don't know whatever whatever do do you keep doing your thing guys just keep it away from me
0: uh, but anyway <laughs> yeah so you're I've Silver Alicorn issues. on the internet where, where, where can people yeah. find you
1: uh, you can find me on Twitter Okay. I my Twitter is kind of a personal Twitter but it's at Silver Alicorn and uh, I tweet about dumb computer stuff and I sometimes post pictures of red pandas Uh, You can also find me on Tumblr, also at Silver Alicorn, where I post exclusively about Red Pandas. And you can also find me on the Something Awful forums, if uh, if that's your jam. And I have a long-running thread in Pet Island, which is about Red Pandas. But uh, if you're an actual member, I do frequent Poss a lot, so that's me.
0: Do you want to... Obviously you have a thing with red pandas do you want to talk about it a little bit
1: uh red pandas are the one true panda uh <laughs> giant pandas are a type of bear but red pandas are not related to any other type of animal closely uh they're sort of in the same super family as raccoons and weasels but they're in their own group so yeah um unfortunately they are going very rapidly extinct because of conflict between uh, bamboo forests and grazing land for animals. So their habitat is disappearing and uh, their numbers in the wild are dwindling. But they're basically the most precious animals on this planet. I mean, nothing really is as cute as a red panda. And they're not out to hurt anyone, you know? They eat bamboo, they they eat fruit. That's about it. I mean... They just sit there and be cute and try not to get killed by snow leopards.
0: Is there, um, um, but, if you've inspired somebody to be feel bad about the red panda plight, like is there a place for them to go to and check all this stuff out so they can learn more? Like, what, is your Tumblr the best place for that? Either? I mean,
1: yeah. Well, there's my Tumblr. There's the the Pet Island thread, but mm-hmm. uh, also the uh, the WWF uh, World Wildlife Fund. Uh, they actually, if you donate, I think it's forty dollars to them you get a red panda stuffed animal and oh, uh like yeah you're by donating you're adopting a red panda in the zoo so you're helping okay. pay for the you're helping pay for furthering the species so excellent you know, go, go do that
0: all uh, all of those links will be in the show notes as well um as always yeah. I've been your host Jeremy Greer you can find me on Twitter at jg greer you can find this mm-hmm. podcast at don't give up skeleton.com, which will have links to all of our social media networks, including Instagram, where I post very brief 60 second clips of each podcast on the day that they come out. So you can go back through and see history of that. Thank you everyone for listening. If you have a couple of minutes, an iTunes review can really, really go a long way towards helping the show and also making me feel better as a person who's spending a lot of time doing this. <laughs> Basically stroke my ego is what I'm asking. Um, thank you everybody for listening. And remember, don't give up skeleton bye and that's about it